if you ask the ordinary run-of-the-mill reader if there is such a guy or such a gal, I guess that I write uh, horror novels. I think that what I actually write are suspense novels. And what's the difference? I think that uh, the purpose of the horror novel is to sort of gross you out. My idea of it is, and I, I'm not averse to this, I will do this, it's part of the fun of it, is it's kind of uh, at the, uh, it's a childish thing, the way that humor is. The two things are closely allied. They both elicit, when they work to their best, a, a vocal reaction from the audience. Laughter, if it's comedy, and a, a scream or a, a yell, if it's, if it's horror. But it's, they're both childish, and uh, it's kind of like uh, when you're a kid and you're sitting at the dining room table and you want to get your, to your sister or your brother, you kind of chew up your food and then, ah, you hang your <laughs> mouth open like that. Yes. That's horror. Suspense is a little more high class than that, so maybe that's why. <laughs> my I mother used to the say word. that was tasteless. That's tasteless. Yeah, that's right. Well, my mother, when I was a kid, used to say, Stephen, your taste is all in your mouth. <laughs> and that's true, but it has made me relatively wealthy. <laughs> yes, yes, Not even relatively. Very. Salutations, one and all. This is Nick's Nonfiction. I am your host, Nick Muniz. This is our August edition. What do we do in August? We like to make a little timestamp here on our comedic journey. And I am an infant. I am a two-year-old in terms of timing and stage presence. We've got a new studio, ladies and gentlemen. Little difference in the sound quality out here broadcasting. Good morning, L.A. Southern California, 70 degrees every day. Your boy made the big move. Your boy's here to record the shows. We are doubling down. We called it last February. We are going for the video element by 2021. Promises being held here on the show. Your second year into open micing, you start to learn. You start to learn your stage presence. I have a podcasting voice now. What you become aware that you're not very good at is writing. So this week we are checking in with the king, Stephen King, his only nonfiction book on writing. This is an absolutely must listen to if you are interested in becoming a writer. And there are levels to this shit as King will have us know. I am confident in letting you know this book alone is better than 12 years of public education. We took English and reading and writing. Isn't that part of English? There's always that joke. How long do you have to spend learning the language that you were brought up in? There is not a word wasted in this book. King has deconstructed fictional writing down to the bones. Did you know there are only three types of sentences to construct hundreds of pages worth of fiction? You got your dialogue, your narrative, and your descriptors. That's it. The ebb and flow, the breaching in and out of those three triangulations create the harmony of literature and king with his 300 plus fictional works knows how to crank these babies out get in that flow state something you might not know stevie king maybe the reason he's committed so hard to the craft he had half of his body reconstructed he's like six million dollar man material he was hit by a car up in maine this is going to be all about the about the author but it feeds into his writing style, and you see many of his works. The Outsider was probably the biggest recent one, a HBO series, was a Stephen King work that they adapted. You've seen It. You've seen the Dark Tower series. It too. Uh, Doctor Sleep, The Shining, the highest acclaimed horror movie of all time. These are all Stephen King's ideas. 
and he's going to let us know in whatever art domain you're in how to find your muse. About the author, we have Stephen King today. Stephen Edwin King, that is. He was born in 1947. We said before, King has over 300 fictional works. This nonfiction book took the longest for him to work on because it was right after his near-death experience. Maybe he saw too much of the other side or spent too long in the hospital, but this guy threw off his whole wheelhouse is writing fiction, and he decided, let's switch it up. I'm going to let all the secrets out. King knows his fastball. In combination, those 300 books have sold over 350 million copies. He's like the fictional Martin Luther. Remember that guy who was just printing Bibles for all of Europe, his own version of the Bible? Stephen King has gifted more literature to more people than almost anyone. The only other person I could think of is L. Ron Hubbard. Do we know this guy? He helped found NASA. He also helped found the Church of Scientology. He is the head of it because he wrote the Cthulhu story. There's only so much fiction you can write, but L. Ron Hubbard wrote the most fictional pages of all time. So King might be second to that. That guy's long gone. He started a cult. King is just helping you pass the time and giving you some good ideas and stories. There's over 200 short stories under King's name as well. And he has a pen name, a pseudonym, a ghostwriter name, Richard Bachman is his alias and this is how he's able to still troubleshoot his premises see if he is still working with a good book or if it's his name that is just selling all the copies at this point this ghost name i didn't even know it until i just refreshed my memory refresh the page richard bachman if you ever see that on the shelves that is a stephen king classic that is an instant cop his rolodex of awards would include the bram stoker award Dracula Action, World of Fantasy Award, the British Fantasy Society Award, and then in 2003, the National Book Foundation Award. It doesn't have any Pulitzer Prizes, none of that fancy stuff. You can't really get any of that when you're writing fiction. Hollywood is knocking on his door every single day trying to <laughs> rip off his scripts, so that is definitely more accomplishments than all these fake trophies, in my opinion. King did not have the fairy tale upbringing. His dad left the family when he was two years old. And many of his books reminisce on the boyhood times up in Maine. You've seen, what's that other movie, Go Your Own Way, where the kids are in the woods and the train is coming and he can't get off? Why didn't he just, he's running towards the end of a bridge to avoid a train, just go off the bridge into the water. Plot holes aplenty in King's novels. Not really, though. He keeps them tight. King studied at the University of Maine. He graduated in 1970 with a Bachelor of Arts in English, sold his first professional story shortly after in called The Glass Floor. That's a pretty interesting title. It's normally The Glass Ceiling, a little absurdist title to lead into his entire career. And obviously, we're going to learn all about the prices, the process of becoming a writer today. But he had to teach alongside his writing career to get it off the ground. So he was teaching English. He was firing off the short stories left and right under that pseudonym. Because you might, <laughs> if you send a crap story to an editor and it's your first story, it's probably going to be crap. They can just blackball your name. They don't, they're going to say, okay, this is the shit author again. Toss all of them into the waste bin. King was smart enough and had the wherewithal to send multiple stories of his own under different names to the publishers. That's like if you just submitted a million job applications with fake names and then <laughs> you adopt that name when you finally get the job. Revolutionary. The way King was able to 
you know, break that glass floor or get to the next level of writing was he locked himself in his van like his him and his wife had an RV up in Maine. Might have been New Hampshire at the time. Live free or die, baby. And he just took a typewriter and mashed those keys all damn day. We're going to get into his daily routine. What came out of that RV is arguably his best work and still most popular. You might have heard of it. Carrie. It's movies. This is like one of the biggest themes in literature. It's plagiarized by the Simpsons and Family Guy. You dump the blood on the girl at prom. You make her think she's a prom queen and then, ha ha ha, we were just here to laugh at you. <laughs> Maybe he was ripping off Jesus too. It's a little bit of a forgive and a forget narrative. But he moved along. He's not writing about little girls into the depth of his career. In the early OOs, he wrote the Dark Tower series. Uh, I'm sorry, that was in 1985. I'm thinking of in the OOs, Idris Alba tried to... I, th- I think it was with Matthew McConaughey. How can you fail with those two? That's like the yin and yang, the ebony and ivory of <laughs> nonsensical monologues. And apparently King has been trying different pseudonyms in the digital age as well. I worked with a kid at a coffee shop. He was trying to become a writer. And he eventually just had to, he spent eight years writing this damn thing. He moved up to like Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to try to get some inspiration. You know, they got the clearest water, the clearest rivers. You can just go and get your muse up there. But like King is going to say to you today, it doesn't matter where the fuck you are. You got to get in your zone. This kid, he tried to sell to a million publishers. He moved to Denver, moved to Washington. I told him to go. Maybe New York publishing houses or something, but he wound up having to sell his eight years of work for less than a hundred bucks to be published on Amazon. And so now he's just going to have to try to market it himself, but it's a very difficult grind. King was noticing along with the trending of ebooks, nooks, and all of this crap, like people don't even need to read anymore with Audible. You could just listen to books. That's how most people are ingesting their literature. King has been moving to this digital medium because he sees more people are reading now than ever, which I don't know if I believe. I don't know how you measure that, but the average American, they say, reads one book a year. (laughs) On writing would be a good book to start with. Nowadays, some would say King has lost his way a little bit, but he's fighting alongside state law boards to his biggest cause is banning violent video games for kids says the guy writing horror gore novels, The Shining, about killing your kids and your family. What? And you're saying you're not allowed to play Halo? A little contradictory there, but King's just trying to stay relevant, getting a hill to die on. In 2008, he was barking up Obama's tree. He's uh, speaking out against Trump nowadays. I don't know. That's You're, you're just going to polarize your audience, which is most of America. In 2018, King called for the release of a Ukrainian filmmaker. Guy was Oleg Senstov. He was jailed in Russia. So why don't you put your voice of 350 million audience towards like Julian Assange, who established the most credible journalistic source of our lifetime, WikiLeaks? That would be supporting literature, but odd thing for King to be talking about Oleg Sensatov was a uh, Ukrainian filmmaker that he was trying to stand up for. I mean, that's a little bit better rather than just fucking amplifying the left versus right paradigm. Maybe even the video game thing is better (laughs) rather than sowing division, bro. In totality, though, this book is not a long one, so definitely give her a try. 
There are very few people who write for a living, and there are very few people who write at his level. He's going to go down as a fucking historian, man. Who is um, like a Shakespeare or a even a Dostoevsky just writing immense amounts of fiction? Our last tip in the about the author before we get started. King was going, do not try to read between the lines in this book. Like when you pick up a fiction book, you're trying to decipher the subtext to see what psychoanalysis about the characters the author is trying to get across. This is one of his few nonfiction books where you could just talk straight. You could get some information across. So you hear that? English teachers out there, sometimes a table in a scene is just a table. And in this book, King is just shooting straight. Let's get into it. Chapter 1. There's 15 of these. We're going to be going at a quicker pace today. He called it Levels to This. Started with a very quick anecdote. An old manual says there's no bad dogs. Don't tell that to a mom whose kid got bit by a Rottweiler. A million ways you could interpret that quote, but we could stick with the grammar for now because this is a fucking English book. An anecdote is basically a joke. It's a quick story with a point at the end. King says this is going to be your first tool to spice up your writing. Most people don't read books we just learned. Most people are reading either national newspapers or sports writing papers, which come off as robotic in King's idea, because you're just trying to get information across. You're not trying to create plot lines or stories. So like these fucking robotic BuzzFeed writers, are women empowered enough? White men and billionaires are the problem. And then their next headline is, We should trust Bill Gates, a white billionaire, sticking minorities with needles. You don't even need to be consistent to be a writer in today's climate. <laughs> King went as far to say that even the uh, the poetry slams, I've been to some slam poetry mic nights, and these aren't the most prolific writers in the world. It's emotional, though. It's more than a sports writing piece. Most of the time, these writers still have wooden characters, stale adverbs, and just a vile voice behind it. <laughs> you can't have too much vitriol when you're trying to get a point across. It turns people off. King is saying, name of the chapter, there's levels to this. Writers compose of a hierarchy, just like anything. and You can climb that pyramid. You've done peer review in your English classes growing up. People start at different levels and you work at that ability. I lived next to a tattered cover when I was in Denver. And this is, um, I'd go there all the time to work on the show. And I would, <laughs> Thursday nights, eavesdrop on a writing group. And there were people of all walks of life. You had your old women, your young students and everybody was obviously at different levels but they got together to share whatever creative pieces they were working on it becomes pretty evident when you start sharing your writing with one person to another people start at different levels so king says with a little work you can go from a poetry slam writer to fashioning corporate emails and then eventually a novelist if you really want to commit your life to it in all the writing groups I saw at Tattered Cover and in King's, King does conferences all across America for writers. The geniuses, the people who are writing in a totally new style are very far and few between. And most are too neurotic to want to sit down and write anyway. Last, it's probably a year and a half ago now, we read Outliers for the show. And there was this story about a guy, Chris Langdon, the highest recorded IQ. This guy was at 190. He moved his family to Maine. So just like Stephen King. And he just, this guy probably had some Shakespeare sonnets inside of him. 
he was too neurotic to write is what King's point is. So there is a correct dosage of consciousness to be the author in Dostoevsky's words. And even more of a heartbreaker, King said that uh, many writers do not see the success of their works. Shakespeare was probably laughed at for wearing that frilly collar all the time, whatever that bullshit was. But his Asperger's ass was writing in this dyslexic flow where every syllable had to go up and down and you could only have five syllables in this line and 13 in the next. He's writing super haikus in three-act plays. It is not common that you get a writer like that. To transcend to that level, wherever you begin, King says you gotta master the basics. Vocabulary's gotta be beefed up. You gotta know what grammar is, how to keep your verb tenses in line, and style. Just like finding your voice, you need to write to be able to find your style of writing eventually. King's coming off hot. He's not exactly being the supportive voice that you're looking for something reassuring he's going a lot of people will tell you once a hack always a hack this kid will never get the hang of it some people learn some people don't he's going this is not a caste system you're not born into whatever writing level that you are at as long as you put the work in you are going to get to the next level of it for example this guy raymond chandler king was putting on blast he was like this writer was a hack, and then the World War II poverty hit, and then people were getting sad, they were looking for writing. Like, Nietzsche is a better example. Everyone threw his writings out, and were like, what is this crap? This guy's just sad and vomiting on the paper. Nobody wants to see this. And then the World Wars hit, and everyone's like, what was that guy writing about? It kind of sounds pretty pertinent. And now he's one of the most renowned thinkers of all time because everyone's posting sad memes online. So like we said before, your writing can resonate at a different time period than it's produced. Steven says there's a lot of smart people doing smart professions. Why don't they just write as well? It's the same reason you don't do everything. It's what you put the time into. He was going, the more neurotic the people are as well, the more likely you are to build up a mental block. And we are going to get all into writer's block today, which is, again, one of these mental hurdles that you have to overcome, a little active versus conscious man there. And once you, you write to edit, it's not like you're going to write the great American novel on your first time. So he's saying if this is even an idea, you got to start at the base level and then you'll transcend. Even a surgeon, they don't know exactly what they're doing when they go in for a specific operation. Like, you got an arm surgeon. He hasn't done every single performance. They have to watch YouTube videos the night before, and you hope to God that they do a little practice on their operation board game before they chop you up. Imagine your surgeon's out getting drunk the night before your surgery. <laughs> He's going to come in with a uh, withdrawal shaky hand. That is not a surgeon's hand. <laughs> so if you want to write, this is getting to our next chapter. You're going to have to read. And so this is a very good manual King is putting out there. Ends it referencing a little Hunter S. Thompson. He says, you will think my attitude in this book is Algeresque. Horatio Alger, Hunter S. Thompson's lawyer who just fed him drugs and kept him out of jail. He's got this crazy mentality about writing. But Alger was always known to say, if you're not willing to work, you got to leave the club. Why would you think you hear this one in stand-up comedy all the time? <laughs> Do you think you're more talented than someone? No. And because, I mean, some people will say yes, and those people are delusional. It's about the fucking work. If you're not getting up there, if you're not writing, you're not going to improve. 
if you're not willing to work your ass off in writing, you're not going to be, if you didn't do that in business, if you didn't pick up the phone a hundred more times than the guy sitting next to you, you are not going to do any better. The same rules apply in the domain of writing. So the final disclaimer, if you're too much of a pussy to go deep, things that'll change your life are in here. And the following is uh, everything Stephen King knows about writing good fiction at the highest level. Brings us to chapter two, his first piece of advice if you want to be a writer, read a lot. And a lot to him is four to six hours a day. This is not a hobby. You're changing the way you think to be the style of a writer. There's a flow like he said before. To be good at writing, he said there's only two things you got to do and there's no way around it. You must read a lot and you must write a lot. King reads 70 to 80 books a year. 80 times more than the average American. He likes to read mostly fiction, which is why he writes it as well. Like he said, this is a hobby for him that he turns into something deeper. Why would you commit your life to something that you don't enjoy doing? He picks up the patterns of the uh, fiction writers that he is absorbing at the time and implements it into his craft. Admission to light plagiarism there, I would guess, but where do you think ideas come from? We're people. You have your pre-existing bullshit in your head, which is individual from the next person. You combine that with other ideas. So in order to write, you have to read. And he says within those 70 to 80 books, he always finds one or two lessons from each that'll stick with you. And he likes to write down, let it sit for maybe a year, and that premise could be relevant to a later work he's reviving. This is why it feels like, you know, you get attached to a book. You have those lessons. You're starting to feel like this book is your teacher. You have a personal relationship. When you finish a book, it feels like a relative has just died. It's like when you finish a project too, it might just be the anticipation of something coming to an end, but you're like losing a piece of you or people who binge Netflix series you feel empty when it's over. Hopefully from whatever series you were watching too, you were able to extrapolate a life lesson, maybe. What was that one? 13 Reasons Why? About the fucking... That's basically the Netflix version of Carrie with um, less character analysis. So a bad book can be worth more than a semester at a writing school. Just like on stage, when you watch a bad stand-up, it teaches you again and reinforces what to not do. You got to read a lot. Even if it is a bad book, it's going to show you what to avoid. I have read some fucking snoozers trying to prepare for the show. The worst one, notoriously, I would not waste your time with it. You see, I, I have discretion for my audience, unlike King, who will tell you not to play video games and then sell you a book about mass murder. This book called Trip by Tao Lin was booty. This guy is an internet writer, and it looked like he just threw a couple of his articles onto a piece of paper. I bought it when I was in college because it had a cool cover, and that's what you get for not <laughs> diving into it quicker. I could have Googled the information that was in this and been happier for it. But now I know I'm never just going to put all of my descriptions for the show together into a coffee table book and sell it, because that'll turn off an entire audience. You'll learn from shit as well. King is especially petty. When you're a high-level writer, you can be this picky. He said the word zestful once ruined an entire book for him. It was in the finale, but he never used that word in his works for years to come. One of King's favorite books was The Grapes of Wrath, you know, one of the great American novels, fiction, and he says it 
that alone, one of the classics, will fill your heads with ideas and branches to go off of. But aren't all of those books public domain too? So you literally cannot copyright those books. Also, just from reading those tried and true classics, you will understand the basic plot development, truth telling, and how to build believable characters. Just keep on reading. So that's King's favorite book, but some people that influenced his writing style, he said, was Ray Bradbury and James McCain. Any literature heads out there? He was shifting to a little bit more motivational scolding in this part of the chapter. He's going, if you're saying you want to be a writer, but I don't have the time, this is just an excuse. And there's millions of excuses like writer's block. So if you don't even have the time to write, how are you going to find the time to read? These are the same people who will tell you, yeah, I write really good emails. My text chains are extremely funny. But you don't have time to read, but you're writing your own text scripts to people. It's uh, This is not the type of person who's going to push themselves to the higher levels when you make excuses about daily function. King said, straight up, if you don't have time to read a book, you don't have time to be a writer. Reading is the creative center of a writer's life. It's a genesis, a feedback loop. Thoughts don't come from nowhere, just like I said before. He said, I even had this quote from him, a writer's new thoughts have to be formed from old existing matter. This is uh, this brings up a deeper point. We could talk for hours on this one. You've heard the idea. Is there any real art left? Because, you know, an art is supposed to be a commentary on a culture or a counter of a culture. And now that everything has, you have from birth an iPhone in your pocket, you're indoctrinated with so much art and information, you are probably just making a copy of a copy. Whereas Van Gogh was sitting on a fucking farm for a hundred years, decided to cut his ear off and was like, okay, cutting my ear off didn't make me happy. Maybe I'm going to try to paint. (laughs) King is admitting, yeah, I mean, look for workarounds as well. I'm a busy guy. I'm never going to say I don't have time for things. You make time for the things you want to do. And one of the ways he makes time is by listening to a lot of audiobooks. You can put audiobooks on like two times or one and a half times speed as well. So you are bending time. You can absorb a lot more information than sitting down and reading. You ever seen those speed readers? (laughs) They set up like books they rip out the pages set it up around a room and run around the room and they read i do not know if i believe this you know they might have just read the book beforehand and then taken a pop quiz but (laughs) that's an extreme skill who knows how you get to that level of reading as quick as a supercomputer king is going if you're a lot of people like to work out this is a perfect time to do some reading and if you really need espn or msnbc rachel maddow playing while you're on the treadmill How serious are you about becoming a writer? Sounds like you want to get in shape first. He called the television the glass teat, and it's a great way to waste your uh, creative energy. Again, another diffusion of energy. One of his few other nonfiction books on life, he said the entire second half of that book is learning how to turn off the TV. King likes sports. King likes drinking beer. He's going, I too am addicted to the television. It's just a practice like yoga (laughs) you might not have to get into a downward dog but it's just as difficult to hit the off button on your tv remote he ends this one about reading a lot saying my kid was pretty good at the saxophone but we noticed that he just stopped playing out of nowhere it's not that he ran out of time to play he was still playing around in the backyard 
but he wasn't that good to begin with. This is a, you wouldn't have seen this story coming. You would have thought King would have relentlessly pushed his child until they were a broken, <laughs> success-desired machine. But King is going, if you're half good at something, you'll find something where you have a higher aptitude from the start. That's the thing. Learn what's your... I don't remember which team it was, but the coach goes to the pitcher. You've got a pretty good fastball, curveball, slider, but what do you think your best pitch is? Pitcher's like, uh, I guess my fastball, just because I've been doing it since I was a kid. And the coach told him for the next week, the only thing you're throwing is a fastball in practice. And they went on to win the World Series. Story isn't as good without knowing the name of the team. <laughs> but King had this mentality with his child and his parenting status was going if you're not that good at the sacks or if you are not fucking obsessed with this pursuit i'm not going to make you waste your time with it we'll find something else again four to six hours a day of just reading alone that's half your work day is being engulfed in the hobby king says that constant reading puts you in a state of mind where you can constantly write for over four hours without self-consciousness the flow state is the goal again. King has written lumberyards worth of books. We're going to take his advice there and move along to the next chapter. Chapter three, write a lot. Another anecdote to kick this one out. He quoted James Joyce, who was a notorious poet, and he said, I wrote seven words today, but I don't know the order that they go in. Every single author has a different amount they're going to write, has a different routine that they're going to follow. Obviously, a fucking poet doesn't have to put as many words to the page every single day. But even just spitting it out, getting those ideas out of your head is better than nothing. And you'll be able to put them in order at another time. Anthony Trollope was an 1860s novelist who wrote fat books. We're talking 600 pagers. He had a 25-minute hourglass on his desk, and he would periodically flip it over. If he was mid-sentence, he would get up and go for a walk. That's is like Newton, Einstein, a lot of those super deep thinkers, whatever you want to call them. They always talk about going for long walks in between long periods of writing. You got to know how to separate and then get into the zone or whatever you want to call it. So I don't know if I'm a mentally retarded or dyslexic with my reading ability because I could write about three pages a day and a hundred pages reading on a good day before I start to get a headache you know maybe I just don't have the braid power yet or that expands with time but there are like natural limits that you're going to hit when you know how to not overwork yourself and then you got L. Ron Hubbard the crazy man who writes a hundred pages a day writes a hundred pages a day Harper Lee, the guy who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, he wrote like one page a day for a few years. He has less than five books. And King was going, you just wasted God's talent. Harper Lee, nobody else could fucking write To Kill a Mockingbird. What other God, what other, yeah, God-tier works would he have had in his uh, Rolodex? You got Albert Camus, who has 10 of the biggest philosophy books of all time introduced the entire idea of absurdism he was what was it 46 when he got killed by the kgb 47 is the peak year of depression for men this existential author would have dropped some bombs on us king is saying don't waste god's talent god gave you a tongue to speak dissent is what the russian authors would say use it 
King said, the morning is his writing time. We're in this write a lot chapter. Let's hear about his schedule a little bit. When he gets to midday after a, around four hours of writing, that's when he throws in his four hours of reading. And then the evening he has for human contact and you know family interactions. He said, once you start a project, that idea can go stale quick. If you don't modify it at least a little bit every single day, you're going to forget about that idea or it's going to lose its shimmer and you're going to move on to something new. The more you, it's like watering a plant every single day. You got to put a little bit of work into this one and then you'll watch it grow. Same goes for a stand-up joke. I, <laughs> things grow with time. I have a clip on my uh, Instagram of literally toilet humor that I started a few weeks into the grind. And toilet humor can grow legs. It could, You could turn a joke about shit into a five-minute bit. I started one joke about in college I have. I made edibles one day. I did not know how to cook them, did not strain the stems out, pooped in the office, and smelt the entire building up. They thought I was smoking in the boys' room. That used to be a 30-second story. I just told it in 10, and I could stretch that bitch out to five minutes. This is like a Stephen King short essay that he then turns into a novella. And he said the way to do this, just continuously chipping away, is writing even when you're uninspired, which is the hardest thing to do. The best shit comes out when you're oozing, when you feel inspired. Anybody can write when they're inspired. It's like anybody could go on stage and act happy when they are actually happy. The skill is being able to play yourself, put the mask on. You are getting more proficient when you know you're able to write even when you're not in the mood. King always says in interviews that he takes holidays off and that he likes to bring his family on vacation. But in reality, he's like, I do not take days off. I have never been on a vacation in my life. I will go on writing retreats. But what is a day off? If you are surrendering your life to... This guy's a real artist is what's happening. He's making himself available to the ideas to come through. He's saying, basically, it's an addiction at some point, but you got to embrace that. You know, people... I don't know how this gets brought up in our education, but drugs are addictive, right? What about food? You see people who are 400 pounds, obviously you can get addicted to anything. So work is going to be the best thing to addict yourself to and writing if you want to be a writer. A little bit of stoicism in there. He says, most writers are addicts. You could just tell by their mannerisms um he was talking about hunter s thompson before you guys gotta look up hunter s thompson's drug schedule he gets up 705 a.m eight ball of cocaine 8 30 a.m coffee and bailey's irish liquor this guy was drunk all day he was doing mescaline at midday writers are addicts they're trying to turn that into a positive outlook king wrote a story called the running man in a single week and he said this was his fastest turnover imagine that writing most people don't read a book in a week he wrote a book in a week a bestseller and he knew it wasn't his best work but he was on some uh synapse enhancers at the time he said this was when he was at the height of his smoking so you can pump out a novel a week if you are really on some sort of like a productive bender which i guess exists but it's not going to be your best quality it's better when you find a sustainable pace. This is why Hunter S. Thompson died prematurely. His normal 
time span looks like three months it'll take him to write a fiction book and he says you'll probably get lost in that world at that point 90 days of every single day four hours writing into and creating some sort of fictional universe you are going to get swallowed up by this project imagine writing it <laughs> like every single Stephen King book takes place up in Maine where he lives he was probably driving around town that entire hundred days looking for clowns he couldn't go to the basement of the library in fear that there was going to be a demon down there that's why like a uh, Dostoevsky all these sad boy writers do not have the <laughs> brightest endings thoughts become actions actions become character and character becomes destiny whatever that quote is <laughs> you're gonna manifest whatever you write so Stephen King goes for 10 pages a day that is 2,000 words I just said I'm at three pages before my brain gets fried 10 pages a day that's what it takes to be a fiction author and then in three months you got 180,000 words that's a book he gets that in daily by 1230 noon 8 to 12 that's a four-hour workday what a lot of people would like and he's uh how much time do you actually spend working when you are in the office most of the time you walk by your coworkers, smell each other farts and fill up your coffee you know when you're being actually productive and he's saying don't quit until you reach the page limit that you set for yourself for the day and his final tip was stable schedule stable body stable relationships is going to have a stable writing pattern but then you got Hunter S. Thompson, whose secret is zero of those three tips. Do what's best for you. If you're putting pen to paper, you're making progress. That takes us to chapter four, the writing environment. This is going to blow a lot of your preconceived notions. Park benches, libraries, coffee shops should be avoided. You need to get into another world and able to get into your writing zone and procreate this universe. And if you're on a park bench... There's a hobo throwing peanut shells at you. That shit happens in the library, too. There's going to be a guy using the public computer next to you watching hardcore pornography. Or at a coffee shop, even, you got people shouting left and right. It's not going to be the consistent environment for you to be able to create a masterpiece. Truman Capote was able to write in rented motels. And King said this is the biggest outlier in the writing story. And he said this is only because Capote was able to set up his own schedule before he got into that on-the-road type of writing phase. Anybody who's trying to start seriously isn't going to be able to fall into the rhythm without somewhere consistent. King wrote Carrie, I mentioned it before, and Salem's Lot, another one of his bestsellers, in a laundry room. He was sitting on top of a dryer machine with a fucking typewriter on his desk. He called it a thigh desk. <laughs> and he wrote two of the best blockbuster movies and books in American literature in the last hundred years it would be. King says to close the door. He's like really amplifying this get into your own little world type of bullshit. I said whatever is kind to the ear you could put on in the background he notoriously writes to loud rock music but that's to drown things out he's not listening to lyrics you hear of people that'll write to classical music no words or listen to i'll listen to fucking spanish mariachi music chinese pan flutes slap when you're smashing the keys king getting a little metaphysical on us he's saying when you set up this proper environment it's like people going to church. You're getting ready for a ritual. It puts your body in another state. 
while we're on the trippy tree, you've heard this one before. Reading is tearing away at the skin of dead trees and hallucinating. You're reading parchment. You're looking at tiny words on parchment and hallucinating whatever world the author has created for you. Writing can equally be that type of a trance, watching the words come out. It's a pretty crazy process, and it's only going to hit that flow if you got the right environment. So don't wait for your muse. It's not going to happen. Like you said before, you got to make it happen. Let the muse know where you'll be consistently, and it'll show up. Bought up again, the glass demon. What was that movie? Poltergeist? Literally about demons coming out of your TV. He said, blow up your TV if necessary. Start with a thousand words a day. Flip that uh, hourglass over and do not stop until you reach your predetermined goal. And you might be saying, I have writer's block. I don't know what to write about. Literally anything. (laughs) He said, as long as you tell the truth, as long as you're not just writing lies to yourself, this will be interesting to some sort of demographic, and it'll funnel you into the direction where your mind was at. And you just haven't been able to tell because you got these little, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to write right now. That's all just a fog that you can easily clear up. once you. It's the five-minute rule. You've heard of this one before? Do anything that you haven't been wanting to do for five minutes. And then after those four, it's usually like two minutes in, you're like, this wasn't bad. Why have I been avoiding this? A lot of procrastinators in the writing scene. In the same vein, if you're a plumber, you do know a lot about pipes. But as a plumber, you have a specific insight into life and love. You know, a plumber's got a wife too. And he sees this in a different light. You can learn something from just about anybody. So you might be saying, I don't have any expertise. I don't have any, I never overcame adversity or whatever excuse you're telling yourself to not start. You got something to put out there for anybody else to hear. Mystery fans are probably going to wind up writing true crime or mystery. Sci-fi fans feed it to itself. You could, even if you are the plumber, you could write, a book about a sci-fi plumber who flies to different planets and is changing goo pipes for people. Think about that shit. What is the most popular video game franchise of all time? The Super Mario Brothers? The entire plot doesn't even make sense. It's about Italian plumbers who... I guess this is how you came up with it. You ate mushrooms one day and jumped on some turtles. Your story doesn't even have to make sense to be compelling, is King's point. The job of fiction, just like getting started, getting those first thousand words out, should be to tell the truth in a web of lies. So you are creating a lattice of a fake world. Think about like South Park. They got all these fake characters and shit, and they do it so crappily so that they can't get sued. You're creating this web of a satirical world that weaves in real political insight that translates to the real world. A lot of shows are like this. Look at early seasons of American Dad. It's just political commentary, and it's all told within a web of falsehood. King admits that committing intellectual dishonesty in a book for a buck doesn't work. You're going to turn off your audience. Truth is the true redeeming value in fiction. Super counterintuitive. You're thinking you're going to fiction to hear the craziest lies and stories, Why would you read that? People want to hear something they can resonate with. 
So after writing that thousand words a day, I mean, you got a 5,000 word essay by the end of the week, you will have a notepad full of ideas that you'll be excited to work on. You're going to have your own bucket list of shit you're excited to write about. So it's getting past that initial block, which is the toughest. And so your writing environment is very heavily going to reflect your audience base. And King admits, John Grisham, what's the Clancy guy? John Crichton as well. I think they're all Johns, only John writers. They have their own John fiction base. They do not have superpowers or secret markets. These guys just put out lots of high-volume books of fiction, which has its own consumer base already. So although that's where the big money is, publishers are always looking for a good plot you could thumb through on a plane. You see the top-level comedians are still writing Sky Mall articles. <laughs> They're always, they pay big bucks, too. You always look for the lesser jobs to get started as well. You're not going to start on a novel, just like that kid I worked with at the coffee shop. <laughs> Make a name for yourself first. John Grisham, who we just mentioned, his breakthrough work, The Firm, is about a lawyer. There's no interstellar travel or, you know, superpowers. It is a fiction book that sold over 9 million copies. Grisham didn't work for the mob. He didn't take writing classes. He just knew about his own life being a lawyer and what to write about. Plumbers, don't give up. Pick up the pen. That takes us to Chapter 5, Characters Over Plot. As I alluded to before, this is going to be one of the biggest tips if you're starting to write. A novel consists of three elements. There's only three ways to write. You got narration, which moves the story along. And this is your opportunity to use your voice. You know, be the most clear and connect with your reader. After that is description, which is how you build the sensory reality of your universe fiction writers are creating their own universe they're like fucking computer programmers and so description like that Taolin book i was talking about before he didn't have any information he didn't do any research he didn't have any personal input to narrate with it was all descriptions and that can turn you off really quick if there's no substance to the book and it's just on a cold sunny day cold sunny you know if you just overload descriptors you're not saying anything. And the third, after narration and description, is dialogue. And this is how you bring your characters to life. Your characters have a voice now as well. And so you're going to be flowing through dialogue, descriptors, and narratives. I might have just ruined reading for you, but pick up a fiction book and you will see the authors flow much quicker by the way they use these three elements. Plot, which is very contradictory to what people think. You're going, plot is the most important thing. You need to have a Shyamalan twist at the end to keep people's attention. You are going to get more people to read your book if you have a relatable character than some <laughs> double do-sex machina twist at the end. King's whole philosophy about this is that stories make themselves. Once you create the characters, the plot then goes along for the ride. Think about it. You can't plan your life out to a T. You have to just work on your character and the destiny, whatever you want to call it, plays out. It's the same thing in fiction. Once you have created the dialogue for the characters, it's almost like, oh, okay, this is what this character would do at this point in the book. And then the plot can play out. If you've ever seen uh, Christopher Nolan's notes for when he was making the movie Inception, there's like loops going back to the beginning, a dream within a dream. It looks like the 
back to the future timeline bullshit. It's all over the place. And so King is going, maybe if you worked on Hobbes, like the main character in these books, or in uh, Inception, it would have went a lot further, Where rather than just trying to set up a dream within a dream within a dream. You remember that kid in your fucking English class who every single time you had to write a short story and share it with the class, you knew his story was going to end, and then I woke up to the snooze alarm going off. That's the cheapest way to try to end your book. Stop trying to go for some super twist at the end. If you build up a character, it's going to give more options to which way your plot can go. Another uh, metaphor or simile. If you're like an excavator and you're thinking, I want to find a T-Rex, you're not going to find it all in one place. you got to start chipping away here and there, and you'll find what you're looking for piece by piece. King says he relies on intuition rather than some overarching plot to take you where the story is going. He puts his characters in a scenario and lets them go free. If you have two-dimensional characters written into a three-dimensional world, it's going to be a very predictable story. Again, depth you give to your characters, the more depth the story will naturally take on as well. So he says, when you're making a scaffolding for whatever fiction book you're working on, having character notes is much more handy than plot points you have to hit. Because if you're always going for a plot point, you're trying to make the story converge at this exact point with another point. It would be more important to have in your notes, main character will never accept help from a peer. And then that'll take on your story. You could write an entire, there's a novel in itself right there. He was talking about Edgar Wallace when a writer had his own plot wheel. goes to show you how important plot was. This guy was literally playing Wheel of Fortune with his books to see where it would go. Obviously, this particular style had repercussions, but character over plot, most writers are in on it. Paul Sheldon was a guy who would be hypnotized when he said he felt a writer's block coming on. (laughs) King did mention he would go to a Chicago retreat whenever he was under some blockage. So these guys do have ways to get around their own personal character blocks. But another way to get started and to develop your characters are what-if questions. What if the character lost everything? What would they do? What if blah, what if blah? That's how you mine premises for humor as well. So an interesting character can save a bad plot, but an interesting plot can't save stale characters. People love the show Seinfeld. The first three seasons are crappily written. There's not even like a love story. All fucking sitcoms have to have a nine-season arc love story. There was They didn't even implement that, but the characters were amazing. Everybody still knows the guy's name from the show. Characters can take your plot, your series, a whole lot further than just a compelling story. Chapter 6. This one is called Amazing Detail. So we're getting more into that. The 33% description is going to be super important. It is a learned skill and will come mostly from reading. You're going to learn how to write in the style of a descriptor if you read a little bit more poetry. He said the first thing you're going to want to do after buying a thesaurus is throwing the word indescribable out of your vocabulary. Indescribable, your job is to describe. You have to visualize what you're trying to say first. That's his personal thing. He's more of a visual learner and thinker, I guess that means. So it's important 
and it's going to make your story more compelling the better your descriptors are but your job is to tell a story you're a storyteller not a journalist but a journalist job now in clown world is to push a narrative how absurd is that that it's completely flipped and you got then uh, Michelle Obama had one of the biggest nonfiction books of the previous year, and she's literally just describing what it's like to live in the White House. So you see a beginning author is going to rely heavily on their descriptors because they do not have the ability to develop a narrative. King knows he has a good amount of description within his book when the reader is able to take over the descriptors with their visualization like when you're reading a book you're picturing whatever's happening you're hallucinating the bullshit eventually when you get a feel of what the writer is trying to show the picture they're painting you have a picture of it in your mind and so in later chapters you don't have to start every single chapter going it was a cold and stormy night napoleon and his men were sitting around the campfire up spoke napoleon anthony tells a story it was a dark and scary night you see how descriptors will lead you into a cyclical bullshit of no information I really like this metaphor he used to end it just like a good restaurant dish. We just went over Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. He says, a good meal is fresh and simple with some spog, salt, pepper, onions, garlic. It's simple and fresh. A good book is just like a restaurant dish. The vision is simple and it's fresh. It's an idea that you haven't heard before and it has little bits of descriptors. You're not serving artisanal mashed potatoes in an old Yugoslavian clog. You know, that's overly relying on your descriptors. Make the food good. Make your premise good. Good way to level up your descriptors. You can work off of existing cliches. He was thirstier than a horse. More parched than a pony is going to be a better way to go. Turn your similes into metaphors. Instead of, she smelt like a gym sock, her odor was reminiscent of a day in the weight room. You could class it up with your vocabulary as well. It's going to be a huge tenant to your writing. Takes us to chapter 7, Dialogue. This is what the characters do, and it'll tell you what the characters are really like. So it's a trickier way to write because you are writing in someone else's voice. It's nearly impossible to write with empathy. That's what uh, some sort of a fucking superpower that these authors have. When you're authoring these things, rather than using the narrator voice to say the character was kicked out of the all-boys school, you can use the character's voice and dialogue to go, wasn't long after Pops shipped me off to the boys' boarding school that I shot the warden. In the same amount of words, I just started a story. I was able to say the dad shipped him away. So using the character's voice is a good way to also give more backstory as well. You don't want to have flashbacks in the middle of your book. That is bad for plot continuity, they say. But, you know, some of the best writers make it work. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, writer and director. Pulp Fiction, one of the most renowned movies of all time, was so popular because it doesn't go in chronological order. So there really are no hard rules. But dialogue is going to be how you develop your characters, give some backstory as well. George Green, Peter Schraub, and Graham Green are known for the best dialogue in King's opinion. And bad dialogue is deadly. If you've ever tried to read H.P. Lovecraft, I'm not a fan. We were going to do The Color of Space on the show. But you know, <laughs> the author had a pretty bad book if Nicolas Cage is playing the lead in your book. The Color of Space, I think it only came out on like TV too. 
what was that one annihilation is basically the same premise but goes a lot deeper with it about like aliens coming and infecting the flora of earth pretty cool one what hp lovecraft was lacking in dialogue he made up for with his macabreness so you'll find something else in your voice to make up for if you're weak in dialogue like king said before honesty is more important in your book than anything to build trust with the reader one of the only times that you're going to be able to lie or mislead, which is very important to being able to surprise your reader, is through dialogue. So you can have the antagonist say one thing and then have the other characters act in the opposite direction. Just a way to add a little bit more pizzazz to your book. And we're talking about <laughs> dialogue over here. Stephen King is one of the few writers that is still thrown around N-words in his literature he's truly unchained but he's going nobody owns language he is a true supporter of the first amendment free speech no words are off limits if your character would use that word use it you can create a fucking neo-nazi character super easy by throwing a couple slurs in there king's mother thought that profanity was the language of the ignorant so he quickly learned the power of the curse words then. That's like when the teacher says nobody's allowed to stand up. The funniest thing you could do then is stand up on your desk. <laughs> and you're giving powers to words by taking them away. You know, banning shit cures racism, right? But obviously you don't want to go over the top. There's a the fuck meter, they call it at the stand-up. An open mic. If the first guy goes on stage and goes, fuck this, fuck that, fuck you. It's not going to be funny when five minutes into my set, I'm really revved up about something and I have to drop an F word. It takes away the power of the word the more you use it. So some writers call for no cursing. And he, King was going, these people, the legion of decency, need to be ignored. Because in their books, these Christian writers are have phrases saying, Oh, sugar, fluff you. They're just using workarounds for those words. It has the same underlying context. It's just less appealing to the reader. So you're really just self-sabotaging if you censor yourself. He ended this chapter saying, Count up your wishes in one hand and shit in the other. See which one fills up first. The price of admission to success is failure. That's going to do it for the dialogue chapter. Moves us along to number eight, observe. Also talking about narration a little bit, because this is what you do as a writer. You are an observer, and you use that voice to tell a story. The job boils down to two things. Pay attention to the behavior around you and tell the truth. He said if your fictional characters are so obviously identifiable with real-world counterparts, it's less fun. You're taking the fun out of fiction then. That's the point. We'll go back to South Park. It's satire. You are able to exacerbate the qualities of a person to comical proportions. Like Donald Trump, you can make look like a 500-pound hippo and as orange as Snooky. This will also make it more obvious to your less adapt readers <laughs> and with narration you can easily say as much in what isn't said as what is said you've heard the phrase deafening silence before so if you say something in your book like she was unusually sad that day it also begs the question of wow this person is normally happy so the narrator's voice is one of the most powerful tools that you can use within the plot 
King's novel The Dead Zone was the two-part question, can a political assassin be right, and can he be the protagonist of the novel? So he's doing a little Dostoevsky, the underground man, trying to say, is an antihero a proper conduit for a story? As long as you tell the truth, anybody will be along for the ride. And look at that question for that book, can a political assassin be right? You ever seen the movie Taxi Driver? Another Scorsese, one of the most renowned movies of all time, about an antihero. The guy is planning on killing a fucking senator. And people still love that movie. It was a blockbuster. He bought up some fiction in real life is what we're getting at here. He was talking about Jesse Ventura. <laughs> Have you ever read about this guy? He was in the WWE, and then he became the mayor of a Midwestern city. But he says this guy's life is a fucking narrative tale that I was trying to write in the dead zone. So like he said, your characters are going to be based off of real life people. Ventura. I've read one of the Ventura books. It was around when I was reading that trip by Tao Lin. It's literally called American Conspiracies. But Ventura, responsible for the red pill. You could put a lot of fucking... As long as you're right in truth, right? <laughs> Maybe they have more in common than we think. You ever read... Uh, did you see the movie Doctor Sleep? So it's about that kid Danny, a Stephen King character. The kid has telekinetic abilities. He grows up, and he's able to tell when people are about to pass on to the other side. And he tells them telekinetically, everything's going to be okay, man. You see, we could have done this the whole time. And people, you know, freak out. But that movie was also about, my point was, pedophiles in position of power. So even on that dark level, your fiction has to mirror reality. He said, your characters should act in a reasonable way that aid the development of the story. And if you do your job, the characters will start to do everything on their own. It's going to get easier to write. Brings us to chapter 9. It is called Theme. Your theme is going to become very apparent. And the more books you have written, the more easy it is to run with the theme that you know you have. So King says, if you spend months with a novel, again, chipping at it day by day, you will have a theme eventually, one will arise. King told a personal story in this little chapter. When he was writing the book, The Stand, it was the longest book that it ever took him to write. But it's also the most well-received by his fans, The Stand. He wrote that one in the early 1970s, Energy Crisis. And so he was writing off of reality a little bit. That one's about how Denver becomes the new um, capital of the United States and there's like protesters fighting down people in Texas and they use the mountains for cover and bullshit. It's just like a post-apocalyptic story, but the theme arised during the energy crisis. So there are themes all around you that you could turn into your own stories. And like he said, this book took him the longest to write, maybe because it was closest to reality, but he would have to go on very long walks to get rid of his writer's block. And as soon as he came back from his walks, he always said he was able to brain blast a couple new decent pages out, or at least a couple ideas in there that he would run with. And he said, after months of writing The Stand, the theme of that one turned out to be human violence. It's not genius. I mean, it seems like there's a couple more underlying ideas there, but yeah, human violence that we have never seen a decade without war in human history. But they're starting to find with whatever CTE machines we have now, brain scan technology, just like uh, microdosing, no surprise, tech CEO billionaires are doing this. 
long walks also create neurogenesis in the brain, which is when your neurons reach out and connect with new neurons, you're making new thought patterns legitimately. It's also why your mind isn't running all crazy when you go for a walk. The left-right pattern of walking somehow creates some neurogenesis more than we know, but writers for hundreds of years have been saying go for a walk when you got some writer's block. It'll help you get your themes online. Takes us to chapter 11. Very important part, revision. King likes to do two drafts of his work, and then he'll polish the final. So like a one, two, three strikes, we're publishing. Rewriting, he says, varies greatly by the writer. Kurt Vonnegut is known for rewriting every single page of his novels. We got uh, Cat's Cradle is his most renowned piece. We're going to read that one for the show soon. King admitted, though, revision is the loneliest process of writing, which is a very lonely pursuit, so it says something about that part of time. No one likes to. It's like listening to a stand-up set you did. You have to... It sucks going back and listening to a recorded version of your voice, even if it's a voicemail, but that's how you know what annoying things you say and shit. So going back over your writing and shit, annoying thing, <laughs> going back over your writing is going to make it very evident in ways you can improve. Revision is absolutely mandatory. And don't you think it's a little bit funny how he's saying revision is the most solidary aspect in writing and when we were bought up through english and reading and writing what was the biggest fucking point peer review did anybody else fucking hate peer review in high school this was like the worst day it's not a i'm not finished with the piece why are you giving it to this other person it's not a finished product and b i don't give a fuck what you think why would you give your piece to be marked up by someone who has nothing to do with that creative process. It's not what you learned in grade school, but King is saying revision is going to be the loneliest part of the process. And the entire process takes around six weeks. That is two months almost, a month and a half of sitting alone and going over your own thoughts with some existential bullshit. <laughs> but it's necessary. It's going to be the longest six weeks ever. Do not start a new project just because you hate revision and you're excited. You got to see the story to the end. I bet you guys could tell by now I fucking hate video editing. Just all the click, 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 back forth, Ken Burns. If I see that guy's name one more time, I'm going to go make a Vietnam documentary on my own. <laughs> video editing is just, it's the last process. It's like revision. It's because I have to fucking hear my voice again. Point is, we're in L.A. now. We're looking for video editors, baby. King likes to send his manuscripts to six to eight other editors, and that way you get six to eight subjective opinions. You're going to have one person who hates a specific part and another person who loves it, and the tie goes to the writer. It's always up to you. This is your work, but it's always good to have feedback on the near-finished product. When you have a sample size, when you have like a focus group, that's... All that stand-up is, you every single night focus group a new set of jokes and find the common denominator. He says when you have eight editors reading one story, you'll find where the unanimous hatred lies. And that's a good way to revise and keep on moving along. Takes us to chapter 12, ironically our quickest one, named Pace. If you're writing too fast, you're going to leave the reader behind, whereas if you move the plot along too quick... No one's ever going to want to buy one of your books again. Backstory is a good tool to build up and induce pacing. 
it could be a blessing or a curse depending on how you use it, but he says the best stories don't have that hazy flashback scene we went over it a little bit before. <laughs> Makes the pace chapter even shorter. King said long life stories of where you grew up and all your fucking bullshit is going to be best received to a person at a bar who's already drunk. Not a lot of people buy autobiographies is what he's getting at. Pace is important. Pace keeps people attention. That brings us to chapter 13. Research. You know, your host is a fan of research. You know, the podcast market is over flooded with people just talking out their ass that aren't that funny thinking that this is the most revolutionary idea. A little research goes a very long way. Arthur Haley, James Mickner are two novelists that rely heavily on fact and research that King is a big fan of. For his uh, novel The Stand about the energy crisis, he was reading up on the news. He interviewed city planners and shit like that. He says, remember, you are writing a novel, not a research paper, so story does come over fact, but it's going to be a big tool when you do hit some sort of writer's block. And along with research, you might want to take one of those tattered cover writing classes. King is highly doubtful, not entirely convinced, but taking a class is not going to be some magic bullet. Small group seminars, sharing work, works best, he said, to get up to your level where then you could start on the races on your own. But you got to watch out because people that are in your little writing circle are going to style mog your piece. I've seen it in open mic communities. People rip off each other like crazy. I mean, we got next year, we're going to do a lot more on the comedy train just because this was about writing. I haven't been able to get on stage because of fucking coronavirus. We're going to read Robin. I have this book called The Comedians, which is literally just about the American stand-up comedian history. Robin was all about stealing jokes. You know this. And writers are no different. He's saying whoever has the biggest name and then can elaborate on a premise the best owns that idea. How many times has the joke been made about I have to put the toilet seat down but you can leave it up? You know, it's whoever can tell it best. Premises exist. Try to write out your premises the best. You do not need a classroom certificate to tell you that you're a writer. You know, people do what they do. So back to chapter two, write. There are thousands of writers in the United States. King knows only about the top 5% of those can support a family on their earnings. So do you think you're top 5% material? Then don't commit yourself to the craft if not. Most of the paid gigs you can find as well, he said, are internet greeting cards and plaques at museums. Seems a little bit dated. (laughs) I'm sure there's a million more. Just like spam websites or all of those infotainment type of things you could write for. Be a freelancer. This is the best time to get involved in the profession. Chapter 14, our second to last. This is about publishing and agents, getting a little bit more to the business side. Most people who are able to break through into that 5% of paid writers for life, they seem to be all in on the business. And King says, counter to other industries, agents are not manipulative nightmares. These people are going to have more connections than you. (laughs) And don't blame them. You know, being an agent is just like being a stockbroker. You're looking for the next hot writer who's the penny stock that's going to blow up. In uh, his 20s, King was submitting short stories to science fiction magazines. And he says all the times he got turned down, he's better for it until he found his agent who he was able to work with a good 
All the no's led him eventually to the yes. Good uh, resource here. He said Literary Marketplace is a good website for people who uh, are just looking for some freelance work. He said read other people's comments in the genre that you're trying to get involved in. Seriously, like go look at the fan base and what those people prefer to read or prefer to watch and tailor your piece toward that. He said, you can go an entire lifetime writing 1,200-word vignettes for, like, Sky Mall magazine, but you're going to make $25 here and there. You want to build credit. You want to build your name up to be a marketable author. Why do you think J.K. Rowling had to create that name? Because she was a woman author, and she thought people weren't going to buy Harry Potter if it was written by a chick. So there may not be, there definitely won't be agents barking at your door until the novel is written. And especially if it's your first book, they may not even believe in you. Steven's saying this is a very solitary pursuit. Once you have that first story fully written, you have the leverage, send it to multiple agencies. You're no longer kept to one agent. You got a little bit of leverage in the business. He said, ask your agent for bona fide lists of publishers and do it yourself because with the internet age, you can send an email to anyone you want. You could cut out the middleman in 2020. Big warning, he said, be weary of agents who offer to read your work for free. And, you know, how valuable is your time if you're reading, if you're offering to read a no-names book, a 300-page book? Don't you have agent work to do, bro? King says, too many of the agents are unscrupulous fucks yes that is Stephen King's word I told you he likes an F word here and there definitely stay on your toes be skeptical when you're signing away 8 years worth of work to Amazon publishing <laughs> chapter 15 this is our final chapter ladies and gentlemen it is called penniless he's saying you're going to be penniless for years on years on years on years and it probably won't work out 95% of the time it doesn't work out so you got to keep trying but down the line your intuition will become more honed and king says he wrote this book like i said this book on writing was made after he got into his uh, life altering car accident and this book was written out of physical pain and self doubt <laughs> everyone's going Look at that comedian on stage. Fuck that guy. He thinks he's funnier than everyone else. No, the reason the guy is up there is because he is wildly self-conscious about how funny he is. He needs your laughs as a stranger. King didn't write this book on writing. I'm the best writer. I'm going to drop some knowledge. Tell all you how to do your job. He said, I wrote this because I was in excruciating pain and didn't have confidence as a writer anymore. Like I said, this guy's a real artist. He fucking hates himself. <laughs> He ends saying he doesn't do it for the money. He honed his favorite activity and let the money come. Again, back to chapter one. This is why he didn't make his, he didn't shove the saxophone down his son's throat. He let his son find what he loved doing and influenced him to pursue the money in that domain. And he said, if you, if your passion is money, if that's a real thing even, Go be a fucking stockbroker. No one's stopping you. Dial the phone 400 times a day. Make your own startup. If you're trying to be rich, do not be a writer. He said, if you can do it for fun, you can do it forever. King, he walks four miles a day. He has fun with his family. He pontificates the biggest thoughts he has. He gets to translate all of this life into words. Albert Camus would be proud. That is using life as a canvas. You don't need to make a super painting it's life baby draw it up 
After King's near-death experience, he found writing is not life. Like I'm saying, life is the ultimate canvas. But writing can be a way back to life. The myth of Sisyphus, the boulder is going to roll down the hill. You are going to find yourself in very dark places, but writing is a good way to get yourself out of those. It is an introspective hobby. You are able to analyze your own thoughts and make it about a character. Just make your own thoughts a character and you can more objectively (laughs) help yourself it's like how no one ever everyone's always like oh i give great advice meanwhile they have many addictions and eating problems or whatever it's so much easier to look at something outside of yourself and give advice so that's why writers can write with empathy and have a more objective view of themselves king knew as soon after his accident it was like he had never written before But a couple weeks after writing, he got into those long-term flow states. It's like riding a bike. Once you put the work in on something, it'll come back, but you have to foster it every single day. Writing is about enriching the lives of those who read your work and about getting well on both ends. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen King's On Writing, a man with hundreds of books now letting us know how to write hundreds of our own. Thank you very much there. Maybe we'll check out some of his nonfiction books in the future. But an interesting read for all of our writers out there. And that takes us to our next show, ladies and gentlemen, for the middle of August. We have Tom O'Neill's Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the secret history of the 1960s. This is an absolutely wild read. It is about the Sharon Tate murders up in the Hollywood Hills. Ellie boy now, Cali boy, long hair. I drove by the Cielo Drive. This motherfucking road is still closed down. It was the biggest court case in American history until the OJ trial. And you're still not allowed to go see the murder house? There are still some loose ends, and Tom O'Neill, an investigative reporter dedicated 20 years, 20 years of unpaid journalism to finding out the bottom of the case with Charles Manson, the CIA, their chaos program, the FBI's COINTELPRO. We see some of that going down nowadays. It's going to be an absolutely crazy read, a different vibe from today's show. I appreciate you guys for staying till the end. This has been a great time. New studio out here. Big changes coming. Love you all, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Peace.